You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Spiritism. Radio friends, welcome to the program today. I'm glad you've joined me again to hear what God's Word has to say. You know, it is best to live by what God has to say. And I hope you are reading and studying God's Word, because within the pages of the Bible there is wisdom and there is the recipe for a good life. And if that is not enough, there is information which, if accepted and followed, will give you eternal life. I've thought about presenting today's program for a long time, and I feel that now is the appropriate time to put it to air. It's about spiritism, or to use another word, spiritualism. Some years ago, a friend and I used to visit an out a family in western New South Wales. It was on a lonely outback property, a cattle station. The property caretaker was a down-to-earth kind of bloke who, like many country people, had to deal with hardships, isolation, and being able to handle unusual situations to keep things running smoothly. My friend and I got on well with this Outback family, who were not at all religious, although they knew that my friend and I were. We used to pray for them, and gave them a Bible to read, and from time to time would bring them treats like dried fruit and chocolate. After several years of us making visits to the property, the overseer, we'll, we'll call him Jim, that's not his real name, confided in us about a problem. At night, when everyone in his family was in bed, there would be noises in the kitchen. It sounded like cutlery being scattered on the floor. This happened several times, and one night while this was happening, Jim got out of bed and scurried up into the kitchen, expecting to find a possum or a wild cat in the house. Yes, the cutlery was scattered on the floor, but no, there was no possum nor wild cat. Puzzled, Jim went back to bed, wondering what it could have been. The cutlery had been placed in a kitchen drawer after the dishes had been washed after tea each night. Yet here it was, scattered around on the floor. After a few times of finding no culprit, Jim began to get scared. 
He knew how to deal with possums and wild cats. But this was different. It was strange and it was spooky. Jim concluded that the house was haunted. And so he asked us to pray for him and the family. We did pray, asking God, who is all-powerful, to send the spook away and give the family peace at night. The family was never troubled by the unseen and unwelcome visitor ever again. Another friend of mine was shooting feral pigs on a property about 40 kilometres away. He was staying in some shearers' quarters, and during the night he heard doors banging and the sound of footsteps. When he checked to see if anyone was about, there was no one to be seen. He concluded that, like at the first place I mentioned, that a spook was the source of the noise. So what or who is a spook? Some would call it a ghost. Others would call it a spirit. A ghost or a spirit is a supernatural being who may take on physical forms at times. Normally a spirit is not bound in a body and is not normally bound by physical barriers. Another description of spirits is powers of darkness. Now, I realise that some people may laugh at the idea that there are supernatural beings who inhabit the earth, but by so doing, they ignore a huge mountain of evidence to the contrary. Here's one example out of the thousands. December 1847. John and Margaret Fox, along with their two daughters, Catherine and Margareta, moved into an old house at Hydesville in the state of New York, USA. In around the middle of March, the family began to hear strange knocking and rapping sounds each evening, accompanied by the shaking of their beds. It was very disturbing, but the children made a game of it, and when they heard the knocks, they imitated them by clapping their hands in the same manner. Eventually, the girls worked out a code, and later spoke to the spirit, who claimed to be a murdered peddler, Charles B. Rosner. What began in that evening of March 1848, historians recognise as the beginning of modern spiritualism. The Bible, too, recognises the existence of spirits, or demons, as they are sometimes called. The Bible records incidents involving evil spirits. For example, Jesus cast out evil spirits from several people, including the madman 
of Gadara. The Bible also records the casting out of evil spirits by the Apostle Paul. Today, there are television programs and books that are spiritualism-oriented. Concepts such as soul travel, reincarnation and near-death experiences are very widely promoted in the media these days. These all depend on one thing, and that is that at death the soul or spirit survives and lives on. But it is not just practitioners of the paranormal who teach that the soul separates from the body after death. The overwhelming majority of members of Christian churches believe that as well. In 2003, the Barna Research Group re released the results of a survey on this subject. 81% of Americans believe in life after death and a further 9% were undecided and probably most Australians think the same. What this belief amounts to is that human beings are considered immortal. It is claimed that the body dies but the soul or spirit lives on. But that, my friends, is a lie. If it was true, you could throw your Bibles away because God's word is in contradiction to the concept of an immortal soul. So where does the idea come from then? If you read the first few chapters of the Bible, you will discover in Genesis 3, in those first verses, where Satan, disguised as a serpent, tempted Eve in the garden home God had provided for the first humans on earth. It says, He, that is the serpent, said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. And that is the lie. Ever since that first lie was told, people have believed it. That lie has been the foundation of sin and trouble that has plagued the inhabitants of this planet. That lie has been the instrument of spiritualism. That lie has brought about confusion and disbelief in God's word. And whether you accept God's word or not, that lie may affect you in a very significant way. So, 
What should you believe? Are you immortal or what? To answer that question, there are four things to take note of. The first point is that Adam and Eve died. And people have continued to die ever since. And death is the one certain thing that will happen to all of humanity. Death and sin are linked. Death is the consequence of sin. All have sinned, and so all experience death. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. If the soul lives on in another form, in another place, then death is an anomaly. We'll stop and have a little break and go on straight afterwards. Just before the break, I was sharing with you some of the points that uh, the common idea that the soul lives on is in, is in contradiction to the Bible. Now, the second point is that Jesus came to this earth to save people, to give them eternal life. 
Tell me, what would be the point of his coming, his life, his death, his resurrection, his sacrifice, if people already had immortality? Those things that Jesus did would be totally pointless if people had immortality. It doesn't add up. His coming and the focal point of the Bible would just be a silly story. Perhaps this is why many people do not believe the Bible, because what the Bible says does not fit in with their other preconceived ideas. The third point refers to what is written in the book of Job, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. It says, As a cloud vanishes and is gone, so he who goes down to the grave does not return. Those who claim that they've been visited by a departed loved one will have problems explaining this verse that plainly says that the dead do not return. Now the fourth point is about what is written concerning the coming of Jesus as recorded in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 53 to 55. There it says, For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the immortal with immortality. When the perishable, that means subject to death, has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will, we co will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Now, if people already have immortality, what would God have to offer them? Nothing. No, friends, the lie about immortality is as big and flourishing today as much as it ever was. And the worst thing is that it is believed and promoted by Christians, people who claim to know something of what the Bible says. The natural immortality of the soul idea is a lie. It was a lie in the beginning, it's still a lie, and that lie is part of the deception of Satan. Don't believe it. Don't get caught up in it. It is a satanic trick. But, but, but what about people who claim that they've been visited by their dead loved ones? Where do they come from? The Bible tells of what happened in heaven once. We can read about it in Revelation 12, Isaiah 14, and Ezekiel 28. Satan, then known as Lucifer, was once a special angel. He became proud of himself and wished that he would be worshipped by the other angels just like God was. In fact, he aspired to be God, 
and began a rebellion against God. He endeavoured to recruit the angels to join him, and and was, to some extent, quite successful. In Revelation 14, verse 9, it tells what happened to him. And the great dragon was cast out of heaven, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. The apparitions and the apparent loved ones who come back to visit the living are evil angels, angels who followed Satan. Satan is their leader, their commander-in-chief. But, you might ask, can evil angels take on human form? The answer is yes, they can. Remember, they are supernatural beings with abilities that are supernormal. People who've been visited by these beings are so certain that their their visitors are indeed their dead relatives or friends. The simple answer to that is that spirit beings are able to see into our private lives. They are able to, to observe what we are like, what we do and have done, what we dress like, what our interests are and how we speak. So when someone is visited by their so-called dead grandmother, for example, that evil spirit knows secret things that the grandmother knew. The evil spirit knows what the grandmother wore and is able to mimic her voice and mannerisms. It is not Grandma who comes to visit. It is one of Satan's evil angels. I suppose there's a lesson in this. We need to be careful about what we say and what we do, because we are constantly being observed, not only by God, but by Satan's agents as well. But that raises another question. Why would these evil angels want to deceive someone into thinking that Grandmother has come back to visit them? The simple answer is that Satan is a deceiver, and Satan wants to draw people away from God. If he can get people so engrossed in other things that they have no time for the things of God, then he has won a victory. For him, it's just a numbers game. He does not care about anyone as a person. He does not value you or anyone else as long as he gets you. Then he is satisfied. I've read several books about people who've been caught up in the world of darkness and evil. The thing that stands out clearly is that these people are not happy. They recognise that they are controlled and don't know how to get out of that situation. 
Have you been involved in any way in spiritism or spirit worship? Get out of it as quickly as you can before you become completely trapped. A little story before we end today. When I was young, I found a length of spider's web and I wound it around one of my fingers. The first few fibres were very easy to break. But the more I wound it, the stronger it became, until it eventually was so strong I found it impossible to break. I had to get a knife and cut it away before my finger died as the strands of the web had become a tight tourniquet and were cutting off my blood supply. We'll have a second look at the subject of spiritism next week. But please be warned, don't play with the devil because you will never win. Think about the spider's web on my finger. The more I wound it, the harder it was to get off until I had to cut it. Don't play with the devil because you will never win. Turn to Christ. In him there is safety and there is hope. Well, we've come to the end again. And uh, my friends, until we meet again via the radio, I wish you God's blessings and joy and peace and turn to God. He will help you. Don't turn to Satan. He will destroy you.